Are you ready for the end of the world? You guys ready for the end of the world? Some people might think they are. Some people aren't. Anybody ever see, seen the, uh, the show Doomsday Preppers? It's like a show called Doomsday Preppers, and, and it's all about people who are making all these preparations for the end of the world, and so they build bunkers and everything. Well, I'll, I'm here to tell you this morning, if you're not ready for the end of the world, I have good news for you, because there's a company called Vivos, and Vivos says that they can get you prepared for the end of the world for a small price of 35000 U.S. dollars. <laughs> Vivos, their website says, whether we want to believe it or not, we're on the cusp of an increase in number and magnitude of events that may, in the twinkling of an eye changed the world as we know it. They list a range of possible cataclysmic disasters including Armageddon, plagues, a solar kill shot, a super volcanic eruption, major earthquakes, killer asteroids, comets, mega tsunamis, and an economic meltdown, just to name a few. Uh, not to mention man-made threats like nuclear explosions, uh, biological or chemical disasters, etc. And so for $35,000, you can have your very own underground bunker with Vivos. And their website goes on to say, Our complexes comfortably accommodate groups from 50 to 1,000 people in spacious living quarters, outfitted and stocked for a minimum of one year of autonomous survival to ride out the uh, potential events. Every detail has been considered and planned for. Members need only arrive before lockdown happens. And then they go on uh, to finish. Uh, they say millions will perish, or worse yet, struggle to survive. But they also boldly promise, Vivos is your solution to ride out these catastrophes so you may survive to be a part of the next Genesis. Wow, that's quite a claim. It's a pretty bold claim. You know, but none of us want to die, right? We all want to survive. We all want to live forever. We all want to be a part of the next Genesis, like Vivos' website put it. We're wrapping up our series on the kingdom of God today, and all series we've been talking about, uh, the big idea of this message is that the kingdom of God is right here, right now, and seeking it should be our highest priority. So God's kingdom was inaugurated, it's, it broke through when Jesus came, but it's not here in its fullness. Uh, it's not here yet, so you'll see there's a the timeline slide up behind me. I think we looked at this at the beginning of the uh, series. So uh, the age of this world, the scripture talks about the age of this world, was started at creation when man was created, okay, and sin entered into the world, and so when Jesus came... Jesus came and he ushered in that the kingdom of God began to break in. But we also know that things are not as they should be. We still see sin. We still see the effects of the fall. We see death, things like that. So we're living in a lapse in between two kingdoms, right? The kingdom of God is here, and yet the kingdom of, the world, of this world is still here. But the Bible says that the kingdom of this world is coming to a close when Jesus comes back, and then God's kingdom will be an eternal kingdom that will continue forever. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, you know, there are hints of restoration. When we look around us, uh, you know, perhaps you've seen somebody be healed before. Uh, perhaps you've seen somebody's life radically changed uh, by the gospel. I know that I'm a living and walking testimony to the power of God's kingdom. Seven years ago, uh, there's no way on planet earth you would have ever put me in the pulpit of a church. Uh, this is the last place you would have thought that I would be. Uh, I was selfish. I was angry. I was uh, mentally unstable. 
I had all kinds of issues in my life, and then I encountered Jesus Christ. Uh, and Jesus completely transformed me. I'm a walking testimony to the power of the gospel and to the kingdom of God breaking into this world. So we get tastes like that sometimes. Where we experience God's power, we experience God's presence, but we also know that it's not as it should be yet. Because there's still things we struggle with. We still struggle with sin and with temptation. We still struggle with illnesses. And we still, you know, there's still death. But the Bible says that, that Jesus' kingdom is coming in its fullness soon. And that's what the entire Bible really is working towards. It's working towards Jesus' second coming. The coming of the kingdom is what the entire Bible is working towards, and it's the reason for the gospel. Really, it's the reason that we meet here together. It's the reason that I preach. And so the passage that we're looking at today, it describes that day. It describes the day when Jesus is going to return, and it's found in the book of Revelation. So uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some Bibles on the table in front of you. Revelation is the very last book in the Bible. Uh, and by the way, if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one of those Bibles home with you. It's our gift to you. We've got plenty of them, and we'd love for you to have one. So uh, the passage is Revelation chapter 11, last book of the Bible. Just flip it on to the end, and we're going to be in verses 15 to 19. Revelation 11, 15 to 19. Uh, and it's also going to be up on the screen behind me. So let's read. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple, and there were flashes of lightning, rumbling peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So... What is going on in this text? What is going on in this passage? I'm going to explain here in just a second. But essentially what's going on is uh, that last song uh, that we sang, uh, Come, uh, Lord Jesus, Come. You know, when we're singing that, we're singing and we're asking God uh, for this day to happen. Okay, that's what we're asking God for. We're asking God uh, for Jesus to return because when, we're, when Jesus returns, he's making all things new. All right? And this passage describes that day. So the book of Revelation uh, is essentially uh, a vision that was given to John, uh, the Apostle John, who was one of Jesus' disciples. It was given to John when he was in exile. He had been persecuted and put in exile on an island by himself. And God gave John this vision. Uh, it's highly uh, symbolic. A lot of revelation is highly symbolic. So I just want to throw a warning out there to you. If you decide to go home and read the book of Revelation, it's not necessarily meant to be read literally. A lot of people uh, mistake that. This is called apocalyptic literature. So there's symbolism in it. So the, here's the main thing with the book of Revelation. The emphasis should be on the truth that we see about God, not on the details. And that's where people get stuck. Don't get stuck on the details and trying to figure out, oh, does this represent, you know, like a, 
you know, a Black Hawk helicopter or something. I've heard crazy stuff like that that people said. And what they're doing is they're missing the point. This passage is telling us a truth about God, okay? The book of Revelation is telling us about God. So what does it tell us about God? So in this particular passage, God gave John a vision or a window into what the end will be like. So in Revelation chapter 5, a few chapters before, uh, we see uh, that there was the Lamb who was slain, and He's seated on the throne. And we know that the Lamb is Jesus Christ, and He's seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, and He's got a scroll, and on that scroll there's seven seals. There's seven seals, and the, the, the elders fall before uh, the Lamb who was slain, and they say, Worthy are you to open the scroll, for you died and you rose. So he purchased the right to open up this scroll with his blood. And that scroll, uh, basically what that scroll represents is uh, the end times. It represents God's judgment on the earth, okay? And so the Lamb is the only one who's worthy to open it. And then when the seventh seal is broken, there appears seven angels in heaven with seven trumpets, all right? And the passage we are looking at is where the seventh trumpet is blown. Now trumpets in the Bible uh, represent at almost in every place you see it, the, the second coming of Jesus. Okay? Trumpets represent, also represent a call to war. Uh, you know, back in the day, uh, in biblical times, whenever you were going out to battle, there would be trumpets that would be blown, and that was the call to arms and the call to, you know, to go into the battlefield. So the seventh trumpet equals the second coming of Christ. And, that, and we know that because it says the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ after the trumpet is blown. And then God's temple in the Ark of the Covenant, you look at verse 19, it says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the Ark of His Covenant was seen within His temple. The temple is the dwelling place of God. Okay? In the Old Testament... Jews would go and they would actually go to the temple and they would worship God and there was only one person once a year who could actually enter into the inner part of the temple which was the Holy of Holies and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was and that was the high priest. Only one person once a year. And so what John is telling us here is that now anybody can enter into the Holy of Holies. Now there's no longer a separation between us and God. On this day we're going to see Him as He is. In His fullness we will stand face to face with God, alright? So, what does it mean for God's kingdom to come in its fullness? What does it mean for Christians, and what does it mean for people who are not Christians? That's what we're going to talk about, and so I'm going to point out some things, uh, really three things, and then we're just going to talk about those for the rest of our time this morning, alright? So number one, it means that the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God. Verse 15, so God's reign will be unchallenged, meaning there will be no more sin or rebellion. Nothing opposed to God will remain. Nothing. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 9 says, The Lord will be king over the earth. And on that day, His name alone will be worshipped. There will be no more challengers to God on that day. There will be no more idols, false gods. There will be no more people who worship false gods. God's name alone will be worshipped on that day. How many of you guys are Jays fans? Anybody? Not a whole... Wow, come on. Don't be ashamed. Okay, a couple Jays fans in here. A couple Jays. And they're all on this side of the room, which is interesting. So, you know that a couple years ago, it was pretty exciting to watch the Jays win the division championship in 2015, right? That was a fun time, actually. I got to go to a couple of games that year. It was a lot of fun. Now, 
what would, what would you do, and what would it be like if some Red Sox fans strolled up here from Boston and they printed out, their, they printed out for themselves some 2015 AL East Division champs, Boston Red Sox shirts, and they started waltzing around Toronto going, woo, yeah, 2015 Division champs, baby, all around downtown Toronto. How do you think that would go over? They'd probably just apologize. Huh? They'd probably just say sorry because they're here. Say sorry? Yeah, Canadians might say sorry. Yeah. Yeah, first they'd punch them in the face and say, sorry. It wouldn't go over well, right? Why? Because they're not the 2015 AL East division champs, are they? In fact, I think they finished in last place in 2015. The Jays were the 2015 AL East division champs, and so they're going to be like, hey there, bud, what do you think you're doing walking around here like that trying to say you're the champion? You guys like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm getting better at my Canadian accent. Hey. <laughs> See, that's kind of like what it is whenever we try to, place, uh, pl try to place other things in God's place, right? See, God is the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And whenever we start printing out our own t-shirts and going, no, I'm the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. I call the shots in my life. Or no, you know, this thing over here is more valuable to me than God. It's the same, we're doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing. And so sin, is, it's essentially worshiping or valuing or desiring anything more than God. And that's where the brokenness that's in our world comes from. That's what causes this brokenness. Because I always use this analogy. You know, if you have a ga car that runs on gasoline and you put diesel in it, what's going to happen to it? It's not going to run. Because that car runs on gasoline. Guess what? You run on God. You run on Jesus Christ. You put anything else into your gas tank, you're not going to make it. There's going to be brokenness in your life. It's exactly what's going to happen. But on this day, there's not going to be any more diesel. It's not even going to be possible to put diesel in your tank. It's not going to be possible to put anything else in your life besides God because He's the only one that's going to be worshipped. God's kingdom, it's also going to be an eternal kingdom that will never end. Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 prophesies that in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and this kingdom shall stand forever. So First John says this world and all its desires are passing away, but God's kingdom will never end. Some of you know the hymn, Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, Bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It's an eternal kingdom. And this is good news for those of you that know Him and love Him. When we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the Lord's Prayer, we're praying for that day. That second song uh, that we sang, that's a song that Curtis wrote, right? And that song is built around the Lord's Prayer. We're praying, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and justice. It's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom where death no longer exists, where we never, where children no longer die, where free people are never made to become slaves. And it will never end. Now, Christians, when you see the kingdom of this world advancing, the kingdom of darkness advancing, and when it seems like evil is the only thing that's increasing around us and in our lives, we don't have to fear as though God is absent. And many times we can get so dejected and discouraged, can't we? I heard a story uh, that, that I thought was hilarious a couple of days ago, and it was a story about Martin Luther. And uh, Martin Luther, 
uh, and his wife Katie, and he was uh, depressed and despondent at one time in his life, and, and he was just, he's just in a funk, you know, sometimes we just get in these funks and we're just like not happy, and he was just walking around somber, moping, depressed, he, and uh, so one day he was out and he came home and his wife uh, dressed in all black in funeral garb. She dressed in all black and, and he comes through the door and, and he says, he says, Katie, my dear, why are you in black? Uh, who, are, who are you mourning for? And she said, well, your God, Harry said, who died? And she said, well, your God did. At least that's how you're acting. And I, I thought that was funny because, uh, number one, that seems like something Jen would do for me. And, <laughs> but don't we do that sometimes? And we, we might as well put on funeral clothes because we walk around acting like God is dead and that He can't do anything about our circumstances and that there's no way that He could possibly intervene and that there's no more hope. And even Martin Luther got rebuked by his wife. The reality of this passage that we're looking at this morning is as sure as the hand in front of your face. Jesus Christ alone is Lord and soon and very soon every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and the kingdom of this world will be the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. The other thing that we learn from this passage is that the dead will be judged and the destroyers of the earth will be destroyed. We see that in verse 18 and verse 17 and 18. The dead will be judged and the destroyers of the earth will be destroyed. So this is a foreshadowing of Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 13. Let me read that for you. This is what uh, this is talking about right here. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. And from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. This is a picture of the future. And this is a day that's coming. Whether you want to believe it's coming or not, I'm here to tell you this morning that it's coming. In fact, I'm not here to, this morning to convince you that this day is coming. I'm here to proclaim to you that it is coming. I'm here to proclaim to you in the name of God that this day is coming. And the reality is, is that every one of you in here, including myself, we're all going to, to stand there one day. We're going to stand before God before the judgment seat of God. And guess what? Not one of you is going to measure up. I'm not going to measure up. You're not going to measure up. Martin Luther can't measure up. Billy Graham won't measure up. The nicest, most friendliest guy you could possibly know is not going to measure up. And that's why God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Because nobody can measure up. Nobody can pass muster on Judgment Day. Nobody is going to be able to say, I am good enough, or I am righteous enough, or I am holy enough to enter into the presence of the Almighty God. We can't do that on our own. So God sent Jesus, and Jesus died to take the punishment for our sins. He died so that we could measure up, so that He could give us His righteousness as a gift. So here's the deal. On Judgment Day, before that throne... There's going to be two types of people there. There's going to be those who are in Christ. And, and those who are in Christ, Jesus already took their judgment. It was already taken on the cross. Those who are not in Christ, they will take their own judgment on judgment day. So one of two things is going to happen on that day. You're going to stand before God 
And God's going to look at you and say, you are covered by the blood of my son. You trusted in my son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Come and enter in to my glory and my joy. Or he's going to say, you did not trust in my son, but you refused to give me honor and you refused to give me glory. And now you will suffer the consequences for your sins because you refused to accept my forgiveness. That's what's going to happen on Judgment Day. Jesus is the only way we can measure up. If you do lots of good deeds, I hear that a lot. People tell me, well, I think I'm a pretty good person. It doesn't matter. They don't cancel out your sins. Your good deeds can't cancel out your sins. There's only one thing that can cancel out your sins, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what happened on the cross. Everything done in the dark is going to be brought to light on that day. There's not going to be anything that's going to be left buried. There's not going to be any skeletons in our closet that are not going to be brought out. There may be some in here this morning who are hiding secret sin. I'd exhort you to confess it to God this morning and to not continue to hide it. Confess it now and bring it out into the light now. Don't wait for this day to do it. We also see that uh, he says there's going to be a destruction of the destroyer of the destroyers of the earth. What does that mean? A destruction of the destroyers of the earth. Well, the destroyers of the earth, first of all, Satan's a destroyer of the earth, isn't he? I watch Satan wreak havoc all the time. I don't know about you guys, but I can't stand him. I hate that he tempts people, that he harasses people, that he messes people's lives up, that he gives people depression, that all this stuff, right? I can't stand him. But guess what? His time is coming to a close. The Bible calls Satan the accuser. He calls him a deceiver, a liar, and a thief. And I can't wait for the day that he can no longer accuse or lie or deceive or steal or kill or any of that stuff. Listen to this verse. I just love this verse. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, And then the lawless one will be revealed on the last day, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring him to nothing by the appearance of his coming. How awesome is that? That is awesome. Jesus is just going to kill him by the breath of his mouth. Like just by the appearance of his coming, he's going to be vanquished. So Christian, the next time you know, Satan's tempting you or the next time he's harassing you, just go, you know what? Jesus is just going to kill you by the breath of his mouth. So back off. Just remind him of that. Satan will be destroyed. Secondly, sin is going to be destroyed. Sin also corrupts the earth, destroys the earth. And I know that, like me, many of you are weary of sin. You're weary of the sins that you struggle with, that you wrestle with. It's addiction or maybe a terrible decision that you made in the past that you just can't seem to, to forget and you can't seem to put behind you or maybe constant battles with your flesh. One day and one day soon, that battle's going to be over and you're going to have victory. Your rest is coming soon. Don't give up. At Jesus' return, the new covenant is going to be ratified and it's going to be completed. Let me just remind you this morning what the new covenant is. The covenant that's never going to end and that can never be broken by you or by God. Jeremiah 32.40 God says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. 
Do you realize what God is saying there? God is saying that when Jesus returns and you enter into His presence, the covenant that He makes with you is that He's going to put the fear of God into your heart so that you will not turn from Him. It's not even going to be on you to seek Jesus anymore, to pursue Him, to, to, to stay away from sin. God Himself will be with you. God Himself will give you the power and the desire to continue to seek Him for all of eternity. There will be no more temptation. There will be no more sin. There will be no more adoring or desiring or wanting anything else besides God. You'll see Him in His fullness and you'll never be able to take your eyes off of Him again because you'll be fascinated and infatuated for all of eternity. Satan will be destroyed, sin will be destroyed, and third, sinners will be destroyed. So the seventh trumpet is the, is the third woe. All right. So the word woe uh, in the Bible basically means um, this is not good for you. That's what woe means. Woe is uh, deep regret. So the seven trumpets that were blown, there were, there were four trumpets that were blown, and then uh, in between the four trumpets, uh, after the first four trumpets, here's what the angel says. He says, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who, shall dw who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So I'm going to get real right now, alright? This is going to be a very, very bad day for those who are not in Christ. I'm not going to talk around it, sugarcoat it. I'm just going to read you what the Bible says and what the text says. This is going to be a bad day for those who are not in Christ. A.W. Pink, he's a pastor and theologian, he says this. He says, the first time Christ came to slay sin in men... The second time, Christ will come to slay men in sin. I'm going to read something that's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. And it may even offend you. Do you know where it comes from? It comes from the Bible. It comes from the Bible. This is what God's Word says about Judgment Day. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast, the sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of His jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end He will make of all the inhabitants of the earth." I have mixed emotions when I share the gospel with people out in public, whether we're downtown or whether we're going door to door, and, and the response is either indifference, like, yeah, I don't care, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll think about that later, or their response is anger, uh, and they get mad, or their response is unbelief. Part of me is 
gets frustrated. Part of me is sad. Over and over again in God's Word, He warns us to turn from our sin so that He can forgive us. That's why I'm preaching this sermon this morning. That's why we read texts like this. If God didn't want to save you, if He didn't want to forgive you, He just wouldn't have sent a warning. He would have just consumed the earth already. But God is patient and He tarries. And the reason that this day hasn't come yet is that He desires that you would be saved, that everyone would be saved. That's why I'm telling you this now, because I want you to be saved. But if you refuse to believe it now, you will believe it on that day. Everyone, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess on Judgment Day. But on Judgment Day, it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And He wants you to be saved so bad, get this, that He left heaven and came to earth. Jesus left the glory of heaven. He left the perfection of heaven. He didn't have to come down here. He didn't have to subject himself to the garbage that's in this world, to the death, to the sin. He didn't have to subject himself to having the very people that he came to save spit on his face and mock him and whip him with the, uh, with the cat of nine tails and drive nails in his hands and in his feet. Why did he do that? Because he loves you. Because he wants you to be saved from your sin. Because he doesn't want you to experience his wrath on judgment day. So he came and he experienced that wrath for you in your place. He wants you to be saved, but mark my words, anyone who refuses to follow Jesus Christ as Lord will not enter the kingdom and will be destroyed. I want to, get, I want to do a little bit of explanation here. Why is God going to destroy sinners? Because I know, I know there's probably some people in here that that rubs you the wrong way. And you don't like it when you hear it and it makes you mad. So, I'm not apologizing for what God's Word says, but I do want to give some explanation here. So, why is God going to, why is God going to destroy sinners? Well, it's because sinners are enemies of God. You may not feel like you're an enemy of God. You may, not feel, you may feel like, well, that's, that just seems like that should be reserved for Satanists or something, or for like devil worshipers or people that do seances. I don't, I'm not an enemy of God. I mean, I know that I don't always follow His rules and everything, but I'm a, a pretty good person and I try to pray, but I'm not an enemy of God. But the Bible says that sinner, if you're a sinner, you are an enemy of God. And here's why. You see, if you don't follow Jesus Christ as your king, meaning, what, what do you do if somebody's your king? You obey Him, right? If your king tells you to do something, you don't, you know, go, eh, I'll think about it. You just do it because he's the king. So if you don't follow Jesus as king, then that means that you're following someone or something else as your king. Whether it's yourself or whether it's a relationship you idolize or whether it's drugs or whether it's money, something else is your king. And guess what that makes you? That makes you an opponent to his reign. That makes you an opponent. You're making yourself a challenger to the reign of God. Can I just tell you, that's not a good place to be. It's not a fight you're going to win. There will be no opponents to His reign when He returns. As I said earlier, He is and will be eternally the undisputed heavyweight champ of the universe. King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. 
So I plead with you this morning, if you have not fallen on your face and asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and called on Him as your King, don't wait. Do it today. Don't wait. Why would you wait? Why would you die? The last thing I want to cover in this passage is the rewarding of God's servants, prophets, and saints. The rewarding of God's servants. So this passage foreshadows the future that's described in Revelation chapter 21. Listen to Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Romans 8 says that all of creation groans as we await, and we ourselves groan as we await the redemption of our bodies, as we await this day. And some of you can probably relate to that. Sometimes you, you just groan. When is this struggle going to end? When is this thing that I'm suffering through going to end? When is, my, when am I gonna, when is my struggle with sin going to be over? When is this physical pain, whether it's back pain or whether it's diabetes or whether, whatever it is, when is this going to come to an end? Well, this day is coming. All of creation is hurtling towards this moment. And it's the hope of the world. It's the hope that God is going to make all things new. So here's some promises for God's servants. Both small and great, it says. The small servants, all the way to the greatest servants. If you're a child of God, here's some things. Here's some hope for you this morning. Number one, your body is going to be made new. Yeah, your physical body, your actual body is going to be made new. You know, if I'm being honest, when I was younger, I used to not look forward to heaven. I, uh, I, I kind of thought that heaven was just like we'd float around in clouds with angel dust and harps and we'd sing forever. And I was like, man, that just doesn't sound very cool. And, and no joke, I used to pray. Well, I didn't pray this out loud, but I would think this. I'd go, Jesus, please don't, please wait and come back till after I get married because I really want to have sex before you come back. Jesus, please. <laughs> And, you know, what this does is this just, it, it, what that reveals is it's a misconception. It's a misconception that I had about heaven, and it's a misconception that a lot of people have about heaven. We think that heaven's going to be boring, that our bodies aren't going to matter, that we're just going to be some spiritual element kind of floating around. And what this actually reflects is it's, a, it's an old heresy, an old false teaching called Gnosticism. It's been around for forever. And what Gnosticism essentially teaches is that the material, everything material is inherently bad. Anything material is bad. 
And it's not created by God. It's a mistake. But we know that's not true because we know in Genesis chapter 1 and uh, in, in chapter 2, when God created the heavens and the earth, it says He looked and He saw that it was what? Good. Right? He said it was very good. So it's clear that God enjoys creation. God enjoys the material. God made your body. God made the grass. God made the trees. And God loves His creation and He's going to restore it. He's going to make it new. So you will have a new body in heaven. You'll have a new body in heaven. Now some of you, like man, I'm going to have like perfect eyesight, 20-20. Some of you, like me, man, those love handles are going to be gone. No more love handles. But on a serious note, has cancer touched your life? Learning disabilities? Depression? Anxiety disorders? Diabetes? migraines, PTSD, it'll all be gone. If you suffer for the gospel, if you go to prison, if you're tortured, if ISIS comes and, and chops your head off, you will be made new. New. Your bodies are going to be restored. And you know what's awesome is that everything that brings you joy and happiness in this life, laughing, Reuniting with family and friends who have died in Christ. Adventure will be there. There'll be games there. Things that, that we enjoy, things that make us happy. Those things are going to be there in heaven forever. And there's not going to be any more, more fading. There's no, there's, it's not going to be tainted. There's no way we can mess it up. It's just going to be there forever in glory. You know, not only that, but your relationship with God is going to be restored. Totally restored. It says, the dwelling place of God is with man. John Piper, who's a pastor, a retired pastor, wrote a book called God is the Gospel. And the essential premise of this book is that the greatest gift that we receive in the Gospel is not eternal life. It's not, you know, you know riches on, heaven, on earth from God. It's God Himself. God Himself is the greatest gift. God is the greatest gift. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, said this. He said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. What would make Paul say something like this? Well, what would make him say this is that none of God's gifts are satisfying without God. And Paul looked at all these things that he had gained without Christ, and he said, they're nothing. They're worthless without Christ. I'm willing to suffer the loss of all things so that I can gain Him. God is the only one who can satisfy us and delight us forever, and it will never get old. Laughter, food, even angels are going to grow ordinary over time. But you will never tire of gazing upon God in Jesus Christ in heaven. He's eternal. He's limitless. It'll never get old. You'll discover new things every morning, every afternoon, every evening in glory for eternity upon eternity. And it will never get old. He's infinite and limitless. Have you ever wondered what you're going to do on that day when you stand before Him? Like when you're there, 
you've made it. And he says, come into my presence. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Maybe we'll shout. Maybe we'll jump. Maybe we won't be able to speak at all. Maybe we'll fall on our faces. But whatever we do, we're never going to tire of doing it. This great day is coming soon, and it's coming without notice. Are you ready for it? Are you anticipating it? If you don't take joy, I'll just say this, if you don't take joy in pursuing Jesus now, in seeking His face now, you won't take joy in heaven. Because that's what we're going to do in heaven. If you would be satisfied in heaven with eternal life and with being reunited with your family members and with streets of gold and mansions, if Jesus wasn't there, if you'd be satisfied there without Jesus, then you won't be there. Because the whole point of being there is Jesus. All of those things, they're nothing apart from Christ. They're nothing apart from Christ. That day is coming soon. Revelation 22, 20, the second to last verse of the Bible, says this. It says, He who testifies to these things says, Behold, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Don't wait because that day is going to come like a thief in the night. So in the meantime, as we close, three things, three action items. Number one, pray in the kingdom of God. Pray in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, When you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer. We're asking God for this, for His kingdom to come. For His kingdom to come and reign on the earth. So pray towards that. Jesus actually wants you to pray that His kingdom would come. It's a prayer for God to hasten that day, for it to come quickly. Number two, don't neglect meeting together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. It says, don't neglect meeting together, and, and listen to this part, but do it all the more as you see the day, judgment day, drawing closer. So he says, as the closer and closer this day gets, meet together more. Don't start meeting together less. He says, meet together more. You know, we meet together to encourage one another, to spur one another on, to remind each other of this hope that we look forward to, to persevere and to not give up. And you can't do this outside of Christian community. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul told Timothy, he reminded him that all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So whether that persecution comes from the world or whether it's harassment from Satan... It's sure to come. And God has given us community to keep us from falling away. So as that day draws near, we should meet together all the more. One way you can do that is that we have something called lighthouses. And we just changed the days of our lighthouses. We've got a lighthouse at the Hartshorn's house. Sylvia's right here on Wednesday nights. Every night at 6.30, right? 6.30. And then at the Godby's house on Thursday nights at 6.30, right? 6.30. So we have two lighthouses and what we do there is we come together, we fellowship, we laugh, we eat food, we sing a couple songs together, we pray together, and then we just open up the Bible and we read a story and we talk about it and see what we can learn from it together. But that's a, that's a time for you to come and I would encourage you, if you are not in a lighthouse and you're missing out, number one, and number two, this is where you can get built up 
and encouraged and strengthened. So if you'd like more information about that, you can come and talk to me or sign up at the info table afterwards. But please, get, get involved and get plugged in on a lighthouse. Um, I urge you to do that. And lastly, we need to proclaim the coming of the kingdom. We need to proclaim prophetically. We need to proclaim prophetically. Matthew 24, 14 said, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom is going to be proclaimed to all the nations as a witness and a testimony and then the end will come. So this gospel has got to get out to all nations everywhere and then the end is going to come. So in view of the fact that God's word is true, we should earnestly proclaim the truth of what we've heard this morning to our friends, to our families and our neighbors. Just think about what it would be like for you to know that your friends and your family who are far from God, what would it be like to know that they're going to be there on this day? That they're going to be there with you in heaven on this day? What would that be like if all your friends and family were going to be there? What are you willing to sacrifice so that they can be there? Are you willing to tell them? Because they can't get there if they don't hear this. They can't get there if they don't know the good news of the gospel. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. If Jesus is not their king, they won't be there on that day. So what are you willing to sacrifice so that they can be there? Your reputation? Are you willing to sacrifice your reputation? Your safety? Your time? Your comfort? Or are you going to sacrifice their souls so that you can keep your safety and your comfort and your time? I exhort you Proclaim the gospel to your loved ones. Proclaim the gospel to your neighbors. And you know what? If you're like, I don't know where to get started on that, well, guess what? That's why we do the Gospel Conversation Training on March 25th. So your action step today is go sign up for Gospel Conversation Training. And come on that Saturday, and we'll equip you with tools to know how to start a conversation, even to, to start a spiritual conversation, right? Maybe you're like, I don't even know how in the world to broach this entire subject. Well, we're going to help you do that. And we'll give you the tools that can help you do that. And it's on March 25th, and it's going to be at the La Quinta downtown. So you can go and you can sign up over there at the info table. And I encourage you, sign up for that and come. And invite your friends. This isn't just a, you don't have to be a part of Fellowship Oshawa to come to this. Anybody can come to this. Because we want people to know how they can share about what God's done in their lives with other people so that they can experience that same hope and joy and forgiveness.